Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy, and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason. And I hope that something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. Now, so many of us are seeking a personal relationship with the sacred, a a direct and deepening connection to the divine. And through ritual, a whole new generation of seekers has been inspired to embrace the sacred experiences possible in a group setting. Nels Lindy, who is co-author of Taking Sacred Back, is here today, and he believes that ritual can be a safe and creative way of filling our spiritual needs, regardless of our personal belief or religious affiliation. We're going to talk about the power of ritual on the show today, and Nels will be sharing tools and his wisdom for creating meaningful sacred experiences. Are you ready to meet him? Nels Lindy is co-editor of the Pagan News Collective, Minnesota Bureau. He's written for publications, website development, editorials, and the Pagan Public for many years. With his partner, Judy Lindy, he's co-author of Taking Sacred Back, the complete guide to designing and sharing group ritual. Nels and Judy spent more than 20 years as presenters, teachers, ritualists, and merchants traveling to many regional and national pagan festivals. And Nels is also a ceramic artist, He's exhibited nationally, and he sells his work and that of other artists, imported drums and costuming through his website. And you can find out more about Nels and the book and his work at hawkdancing.com. Nels, welcome to Out of the Fog. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm glad you're here. I, maybe where we should dive in here is I'd love to know if you'll share with the listeners your first experience with ritual. What was it that caught your attention and, and focused it in this way? Well, I, I would uh, preface that by saying that I was raised, uh, you know, a Catholic uh, in the early 60s. So really that, uh, you know, the trappings of ritual, you know, even though it didn't really touch me as spiritually as I would have liked, uh, you know, embedded you know, a love of that, the ceremony and the pomp and the circumstance and the mystery of it. But as far as finding a, a personal ritual, I was at a festival uh, my very first time. I kind of wandered in, not really knowing what I was getting into. And uh, um, I met a man who was going to be doing a kind of a men's rite and decided, well, I should I should go see what it's about. And so I chatted with him as we walked up to the the ritual area and uh, joined a circle of men. And uh, they used kind of a Wiccan format where they talked to the directions in order to create the space. And I happened to be standing near the south, and since he knew me, I just met him, he, you know, waved to me and said, Nels, will you now call the south? And I went, oh, <laughs> And, you know, really had to think and draw from my just lifelong experience to, to speak 
in a group of men in ritual creating sacred space, and that had a profound impact on me. And it took you immediately from not just an observer to really a participant. Absolutely. It was, uh, you know, at the time I was, I was just flabbergasted. I had no ex- expectation of that, but it did draw me into uh, how ritual is made, how uh, it affects people, all those aspects of ritual. How do you define the word ritual? I was thinking today about how we, when we say somebody has a little ritual about something, we can mean they always do it the same way every time, right? She always takes her coffee out of the pot in the same way and puts it in the same cut, cup. But we're talking about the opposite of routine. The rituals that you design are, wow. So how do you, de- how do you define ritual in this context? Well, um... Uh, we devote most of a chapter just to a discussion of ritual and, you know, its roots and its various forms. And, and uh, you know, as a, as a spiritual practice, you can use many different definitions and many things qualify as ritual that look totally different. Um, in, in the setting of a community ritual, which is mainly what our book deals with, that is a ritual for a group of people that might not be uh, might be very spiritually diverse, may not have uh, a lot in common, or they may have a lot in common, either one. Uh, for that definition, uh, we came up with this. A community ritual is a set of actions, gestures, and words offered within a large group to benefit its shared spiritual and emotional needs or interests. You know, and that's about as, as precise as we could get um, because... Ritual in its expression is so diverse. Is ritual, as you practice it, designed to shake up the routine, designed to bring in new awareness? Well, I think um, uh, ritual, when it's effective, is going to touch people somehow. And, uh, you know, we firmly believe that you know, you can speak to people, you can lecture them, you can, you know, tell them what they should feel. But if you present uh, a ceremony in which uh, they, um, they are touched, they have feeling, and maybe they come to a new awareness or a new perspective, that's when ritual is going to be most effective. There's a, a belief that I, that I hold personally, and that I use in the teaching that I do, that our spiritual practice is both a response to the divine moving in us, and also a way of waiting for more information, opening, opening ourselves up to receive, even as we are responding. Does that fit in with the kind of thing that you're talking about here? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, many people have you know, grown up or lived their lives, you know, alienated from a group uh, spiritual setting. And so oftentimes when you're presenting a, a ritual to a community, you know, there's, there might be a third of the people that are just uh, ready for whatever they are to experience. You know, a third of them are, are open to the experience, but maybe a little skeptical, and, and maybe even a third that are you know, they're just there to see what it's about. And so when you present a ritual, uh, you're, you're reaching out to those people 
and hopefully in a way that their experience there uh, will open them to whatever happens in that in that time. What is it that inspired you to 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 write the book to put this knowledge together in this way? Well, uh, uh, both my wife and I, uh, and through somewhat different pathways, um, uh, had a lot of experience of ritual, and we had both been really personally uh, touched, moved. Uh, you know, uh, things had come to our awareness that that you know were not there before, and we had also seen other people. Um, dramatically uh, affected by their experience in ritual. And so as we started working, presenting ritual, we just thought that this experience we had gained uh, would be really helpful to people who just want to reach out and give it a try and see what they can offer. It also is one of the things that listeners know that I love books that are practical um, as well as spiritual, right? So you teach me some principles and then give me something I can do. One of the really cool things about your book is that it details a number of these rituals. And so I felt like through reading the book, I wasn't just learning. I was also, in a sense, going through some of the rituals myself because the scripts are there and the directions are there. And so there's a sense in which, for me, reading the book was like going through one of the rituals. Well, it, it, you know, the, the book came about uh, partially because we were very organized in, in working with our rituals. And, you know, some, some people create events uh, with the feeling that this is, you know, this is a one-time thing that, uh, you know, it's a moment in time, and when it's after it happens, it's gone. And we had always uh, made a point of writing down exactly what we did, so we had a record of it. And when we first started uh, working on the book, you know, our intention was basically to, you know, kind of preserve some of this actual experience and the actual rituals we had created. And, you know, our publisher teased us it was like Nelson Judy's greatest hits, hmm. uh, which in a sense it was. Uh, but the, the formatting it into the book kind of forced us to look at, uh, in retrospect, what we had done, you know, what we were trying to do, and how we had come to that point. And we tried to share that, you know, in each chapter of the book, and then there's a ritual that somewhat illustrates some of the principles that we had learned, you know, during that experience. Why did you call this taking sacred back? Um, you know, I think when we were looking for a title, um, we, we both felt like people were, uh, had placed their spiritual lives in others' hands, whether it's through participating in a, you know, a church or some form of organized spirituality. And what we really felt this book was about was, uh, you know, giving people kind of a how-to book uh, to uh, take their, their spiritual awareness and insights and share them within a community, whether it's, you know, a spiritual community or it could be a book club or it could be, you know, a food co-op. There's... Uh, I guess in our world, we believe that uh, much of what we do is sacred, and by integrating a ritual into the community that you're working with, uh, you can help people reclaim that sacred nature that they already have. 
There's so much, I think, uh, to distract us. Um, we're online all the time. We're on our phones all the time. Things are always ringing and buzzing and beeping and we're rushing from one thing to another. And there isn't downtime unless we really consciously set that apart. And there may be a way in which ritual, as you're describing it, helps bring our attention back in a, a sort of a stylized way, but brings our attention back to those things that we are not paying attention to so that after the ritual, after we go through that process, we can then have an, a heightened awareness of the sacred in our everyday life. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the principles that our book is based on is that uh, uh, in ritual, uh, it should have a, an experience that people encounter, whether it's a, 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 a story or a myth or a fable or a, uh, a sensory experience that, that tells the story you want to tell. Um, and you can't, uh, people are used to the idea that the sacred takes place uh, in a formal setting uh, with a formal structure. And uh, we came to realize that that. For, at least for us, and we think for many people, that sacred experience comes from being in a community of others that experience the same thing and, and uh, come to the same insights and awarenesses. Mm. And there's something to be said for going through it together. Again, we're bringing the community together. A lot of times our lives now are quite... Um, uh, inner focus, not in a good way, looking down at my phone. Instead of, although I am part of a community, I'm not looking at the other members of my community. When we are in circle or in whatever process, I have to, or I am given the invitation to really see the other people around me as well. Well, and some of the most uh, effective techniques in ritual are ones in which... Uh, I mean, simply making eye contact with another person, uh, you know, without words, without expectations, um, can be a very powerful thing that, you know, it's such a simple thing, but in their daily lives, most people rarely do that. And to, I'm, I'm thinking in my own tradition, which is in the Episcopal Church, um, in my own tradition, I've been in churches where the, the altar, where they do the Eucharist, is right at the front, and you come up to the front, and your back is to the congregation, and you receive the Eucharist, and you just go back. And we're all Episcopalians, we're very polite, everything's done very orderly, right? We've all ironed our clothes before we came to church. And, uh -huh. when in, and in some churches, then, when they have taken the altar and put it out so that the congregation comes around the altar, where that sacred table then becomes something that's accessible from all sides, and that you can't take part in that ritual without catching somebody else's eye, that at least for me brought a, a kind of a depth of emotion to that experience that, that surprised me how meaningful it was to be able to see someone else, look, at, look in their eye, a stranger, as I was experiencing that particular ritual or liturgy. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I have a friend who is a member of a Congregationalist church, and uh, their church recently lost their pastor, and uh, it's in a. I'm in a rural area, and oftentimes a pastor for a church is hard to come by, and so the congregation uh, decided that they would take turns offering, uh, you know, the sermon part of their 
their ceremony. And um, that was such a powerful experience of them to hear from, you know, the people in their congregation that, that weren't pastors, you know, uh, speaking from their heart that now that they have a pastor, they're still incorporating that process of the congregation being a part of the service uh, because it was so powerful for them. Oh, I love that. And if we're, if we're tapping into the idea of ritual freeing voices that might not otherwise be heard or acknowledged or experienced fully, I love the way that that can, just through being asked, well, just the same way that it, when you were asked to participate by calling in the South on that day, completely by surprise, it changed you. That ritual changes, the not, not just changes the, maybe the energy of the situation or charges a sacred space when you're in it, but that ritual changes the people who are participating in it. Well, and I, I think it does, uh, it empowers people to, you know, in a sense, take responsibility for their own spiritual expression and growth. And, and for people that oftentimes have left that to, you know, an organization or to someone else, that, can, that in itself is a really powerful experience. And as we look at the way in which, especially right, right now, we are, there is so much division and so much disagreement and so much mistrust um, is there a way from your experience that ritual can help to heal communities where there has been a, where there's been a big divide where we don't trust each other, neighbors not talking to neighbor, nobody knows what to say? Well, uh, uh, there is, and, and those kind of rituals we include, uh, in a sense, as a rite of passage, because uh, most people think of a rite of passage as something that is, you know, just something when you become a teenager or an adult or you get married. Uh, but in a lot of ways, uh, individual and community healing is also a rite of passage. And uh, I was involved with a group that went through a bunch of internal turmoil, and it caused, you know, a lot of uh, individual uh, angst and, and uh, disruption. And we worked with a woman who is a, uh, does um, uh, restorative justice. Oh. And which is a process of, of uh, in, in ceremony, you know, uh, it's not about blaming or shaming or assigning causes. It's about bringing out what people feel in a time of conflict. And in a ritual setting... Just acknowledging what people feel uh, is really the first start toward healing a disruption in a community. And so we believe that is uh, a real appropriate way to deal with, uh, you know, those kind of feelings in the public. How can you assess whether a community can, whether whether a community is sort of an appropriate place for ritual, whether they're ready, because I'm, we probably, everyone in the spiritual world has had the experience of someone charging in and going, I know what this place needs, I'll, and I'll take care of it, I'll do exactly that. And ritual's not like that. Well, I think, uh, you know, part of what we talk about in our book is, is how to assess your community and how to uh, uh, get involved with your community. And as with anything... Uh, 
you know, when you're working with whether it's a group of people that just get together once a month to knit or a group of people that that work on a project together or what or you know whatever it is that draws them together um number one you have to be a part of the group it's not something you can come in as an outsider and easily impose unless you're invited you know and then you know based on that invitation there's kind of an assumption that there is something that's desired but you really have to um it's more like helping people to find what they want to uh, work with than uh, making a judgment as an outsider and coming in to impose something. Um, so it comes from within, from that understanding of the group from within the group. Right. And different, different groups, you know, groups that have a lot more in common, uh, you know, have a lot greater, uh, you know, menu of, of experience that can be integrated into ritual and be relevant to the whole group. If, you know, if a, a group is only held together by one commonality, you know, you can, it's still appropriate to do a ritual, but the ritual will have to be founded on, you know, what they already have in common and maybe try and push that a little, but it has to be really rooted in that. What are some of the common uh, failings in community ritual? What, where do they go wrong? Well, uh, I think, you know, words are, are both our asset and our worst enemy. Um, most people, you know, as soon as someone starts talking, uh, especially about spiritual matters, uh, you know, their eyes glaze over, <laughs> they kind of go somewhere else, and... Uh, and that's not the way to really touch people. Um, you know, we do use words in our ritual. They're not all silent. But we usually uh, look at every aspect of our ritual and ask ourselves, is there a way that we can get this concept across without words? You know, with an experience, with a, uh, uh, something sensual, with something... Um, that a person comes to themselves rather than we are offering to them by words. Um, so in a lot of ways, our, our natural dependence on, well, let's just explain it to them and then they'll feel it and it'll be a great ritual, uh, is, is the cause of many uh, good intention going awry. <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. And because, and especially at times when there is discord, when we're talking about those, those healing rites of passage, when there is discord, sometimes those words, if you accidentally hit a trigger word, then it's big trouble. Well, uh, as an example, we're, uh, we're going to be working on a ritual for a convention coming up. And um, uh, one of the things we want to deal with is, is kind of the, the nature of experience itself, that, you know, in an age of, of social media and news media and, you know, rumor and innuendo, uh, people are relying less and less on their own experience and instead on, you know, what we would call second-hand or implied experience. And so, you know, we could give a lecture on that subject and it would certainly enlighten a few people, but we're going to use the... Uh, uh, poem from Alfred Lord Tennyson, The Lady of Shalott, uh, which is the story of a woman 
trapped in a castle under a curse, and she can only experience the world of Camelot through looking in her mirror. And, you know, by, by integrating that story into a ritual, you can communicate um, that idea um, on a real experiential level rather than, you know, in a lecture. That is so, that is really interesting, a way to kind of, um, a way to sort of change it up, to give everybody a different experience. Now, I know we're right here right now at the, at the bottom of the hour. When, when we come back, I know that I want to ask you about what it is that, that we need to know to put together a successful ritual so that we don't fall into some of those failings. And I've got a bunch of stuff, um, else to ask you besides I'm I was a theater major I want to talk to you about the relationship that kind of interconnection between ritual and theater as well you're listening to out of the fog and I'm talking with Nels Lindy with his partner Judy partner Judy Lindy he is the author of taking sacred back the complete guide to designing and sharing group rituals we'll be right back with Nels after this I have an asthma attack. I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. Today, one out of 13 children suffer from some form of asthma, accounting for nearly one-third of all emergency room visits. I feel like I'm choking. It's kind of like an elephant on my chest. A little whistle sound comes out when I breathe. But while your child may suffer from asthma, asthma doesn't have to make your child suffer. There are simple ways you can prevent your child's next attack. To learn more, log on to www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA, the Ad Council, and this station. The Empower Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app free in the app store or listen online at empower.fm soothe your soul calm your mind the empower meditation channel you're struggling with your mortgage you think about it you don't do anything but think about it what are we going to do if we lose the house where are we going to go at work i can't let anybody find out i'm so embarrassed at dinner how can i tell the kids it's going to wreck their lives at three o'clock in the morning. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get through this. What's going to happen to us? It's time to stop thinking. It's time to start dialing. Call 1-888-995-HOPE for a free government program that offers expert one-on-one advice about your mortgage options. I'm all alone. No, you're not. We've helped over a million homeowners and we want to help you. And now there are more ways to help. Call 1-888-995-HOPE or visit makinghomeaffordable.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. 
This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat. And apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable. But how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. EmpowerRadio.com. Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Nels Lindy. He is co-author with Judy Lindy of Taking Sacred Back, the complete guide to designing and sharing group rituals. You can find out more about Nels and his work at hawkdancing.com. And of course, I'd love to hear your feedback about this show. Have you ever participated in a ritual that touched you, that surprised you, that moved you deeply? As you're listening to this program, to this conversation, do you have ideas about ways that you could incorporate ritual into your community? You can always reach me through uh, my email address, which is karen at karenhager.com. And of course, karenhager.com is my website. There's all kinds of good stuff there for you. Now, Nels, we've been talking about the power of ritual, and I'd love to know what you feel it's important to have or to consider to create a successful ritual. There's a quote in the book that I just had to include here. You say, if you want a powerful ritual, either include a nude person or burn something. Um, So (laughs) um, with that in mind, what is it that we uh, need to be thinking about for a successful ritual? Well, well, that was an old bit of wisdom that I heard once, and <laughs> and but in a sense, it is it's true. Uh, both those things, you know, the the shock of a person, uh, you know, in their primal form, which we're not used to, and the power of a fire are both things that, when we experience, um, you know, it kind of takes us out of our normal self. And that's really, a, uh, you know, what creating a, a good community ritual is about, is the ability for people to leave their normal life, their normal state of consciousness, and go to a place where they can experience something as a group, um, you know, with fresh eyes. And so when we're thinking about, in let's say, in a, in a community, and we're thinking about designing ritual, what are some of the things that we must have your book is has a a whole the whole second half is a toolbox for putting together ritual what are some of the things that we must have or that we want to consider as we're planning that ritual well um you know uh, as we've already talked about you know some of the first things is to you know uh define your community who you're working with if possible include as many of those people as is practical in the team producing the ritual. And, and then the thing we talk about a lot is the ritual intent, which is, you know, simply what are you trying to do in the ritual? You know, are you trying to, are you celebrating something? Are you, do you want to transform something? A, you know, a, a feeling of grief into a feeling of, uh, community, um, and that intention is is really what guides and drives you. Then, you know, the tools that you use to uh, uh, get that intention 
expressed through the ritual uh, are uh, mainly sensory, but there's a lot of different things you can use to make that intention powerful. And, you know, that's where you start. What are some of the things that you can use, some of the ideas you can incorporate to give the participants that powerful experience? Um, well, typically, uh, you know, you want uh, something in the beginning of the ritual that uh, immediately takes people out of, out of their head. It takes them to a, a separate and sacred place. So, you know, in, in pagan traditions, there's, you know, lots of ways of creating a circle and creating a sacred space. But it can be as simple as a, a person walking with a bowl of water and a branch and sprinkling water around all the people there. It's, it's not something that normally happens, and people will interpret what that means uh, differently based on their experience, but nearly everyone there will go, something's happening here that is not normal. Hmm. Well, and you talked, too, about the importance of having kind of a, an entryway or a gateway, just something that divides the ordinary time from the sacred time or the ordinary space from the sacred space. Right. And, and these, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of, you know, different props and things that we've encountered or designed, uh, you know, to create a sacred space or to create a gateway. And, you know, part of the beautiful thing about ritual is once you start working with it and experience it, you know, your own creativity will, will pop up. I've, uh, you know, one of the things that had a, a big impact on me was at a festival, and a group kind of spontaneously uh, created a gateway out of uh, just assembled materials. They had a um, uh, a bunch of grapevine uh, that they kind of wove into a giant, almost vulva-shaped opening, and they hung a globe at the top of it. So it actually looked like a vulva. And that was the gateway. And while they didn't say, this is a vulva, as people walked through it, they felt like they were, you know, experiencing a re rebirth. And, you know, once, once you see that, you go, oh, wait, I could, you know, I could make something and cover it with flowers. Or I could, you know, uh, have people line up and form a gauntlet that I walk through. Or, you know, there's a lot of different your creativity gets stimulated by the experience and that creates new experiences. Do you ever feel, and working with your partner with Judy, do you ever feel as you are creating, and I know you both bring very different skills to this, do you ever feel the, uh, the moving of spirit in you as you are creating? Do you ever feel that the ideas you're coming up with are inspired, not just through experience and knowledge, but inspired by spirit? I think what I'm asking is, is there a way in which whatever it is that we're invoking in the ritual might come and visit you a little bit early in the creation of the ritual? <laughs> well, I, I think indeed it does. I think um, the process of of, you know, sincerely uh, working with other people to create the ritual experience uh, draws out um, your own connections to the divine. And it may not be, you know, a voice may not come to you and say, 
Nels, this is the perfect time to try this. But, you know, uh, with experience, you know, the ideas that we've come up with, you know, uh, clearly didn't just come from the either. Uh, so I, I think, and one of the things we talk about in the book about why creating ritual is so important is, you know, it also changes the people that do it. It affects them. Uh, they look at the world in a different way, and they uh, work with their own spirituality in a different way, I believe. Well, and there's that idea of when we are in, when we are fully engaged, fully aware in the present moment that everything is amplified. That gateway of flowers is not just a gateway of flowers, right? And as I walk through it, I become more than I was before I came through. I'm, I am amplified or aware or awake or whatever word fits there. Right. And, um, I mean, we've, over the years, we've done many different uh, things in ritual. Um, and one of the things that a lot of people wouldn't think of necessarily is uh, incorporating kind of like craft projects. Um, when people uh, work on something together in the context of a ceremony, whether it's you know, decorating a tree or um, uh, one, one time we used uh, carved potatoes as little print blocks and people printed on a sheet of plexiglass and then later by uh, peeling back a cutout, an image was revealed uh, through their printing. That hands-on um, focus uh, on, on craft work uh, in a way kind of separates separates people from the, uh, maybe the actual uh, connections that they're making, and then if you can somehow reveal to them what they have done later in the ritual, that can be a really profound experience. And, and so, you know, there's, there's both sensory methods like presenting visual things or smells, or, uh, but there's also more intense things uh, physical things like craft work or, or like a, I do a lot of kind of Mr. Rogers type props, you know, things that, um, um, that on a very simple level just show people a concept of physics or our natural world in a different context uh, that can demonstrate change or mystery or, you know, whatever it is you're working with in your intent. Can you give me an example of a Mr. Rogers type prop? Um, well, uh, uh, one uh, simple thing we did, uh, uh, we've used uh, popcorn in several different rituals uh, because the, the act of popcorn popping is, uh, you know, to many of us to this day, kind of a mystery. We, we put this little corn in some oil and apply some heat and it explodes. <laughs> and so it's, it's a, a great little uh, example of using something that we've all experienced, but we've never thought of it uh, with all its implications, that, you know, we apply energy to something and it transforms and the transformation itself is an explosive thing. And, you know, the, the popped corn never goes back to the corn again. Wow. And so by integrating those kind of, uh, you know, common physical experiences and uncommon ones from, from science, uh, you can demonstrate something that you're, you want people to experience without just saying, you know, when you apply heat to something, it gets different. 
<laughs> oh, I love that. And it, it, one of the things I was very interested in in the book was the, the section talking about pathworking in ritual. And there are ways also of having the participants kind of be like the popped corn where you create experiences for them where they need to um, answer a challenge question or push through an obstacle. Can you say a little more about that? Because it makes what I wish the, I wish the book had videos with it so that I could be there. <laughs> well, and actually that's, one of the things uh, about ritual, I mean, while we kept all our scripts, we literally have no, I mean, we have a few pictures, that some of which are in the book of the before and after, but we generally don't document, uh, you know, through photo or video the rituals. And somewhat that's because, you know, it can never uh, capture exactly what was there. Yeah. Um, but as far as a, a pathworking ritual... We do like to include uh, when possible, and uh, sometimes in a, in a group of 400 people, it, it can become practically impossible, but we like to include at least one moment where each person has some sort of individual experience, whether it's, it's uh, meeting another person and encountering whatever it is they have to offer, whether it's words or actions or a smell or, you know, it could be many different things. Um, because that personal experience, um, you know, people tend to like to hide in crowds, and oftentimes a, a spiritual experience can be, I'm just one person in a crowd. And that, that individual experience can be a really valuable part. So even, even indoors where, you know, you, don't, you may not really have a path, it may be just people moving around a circle encountering different things. Um, that can offer... Uh, a way into uh, a connection to a spiritual insight or, or experience that just wouldn't be possible, you know, if you have to do everything as a group. How big is the biggest group of people that you've designed a ritual for? Uh, well, probably the largest was about 800 people. And uh, that uh, took a large team of people. It took... Uh, you know, it's not something you approach lightly, and we had to put a lot of thought into every aspect of it, uh, particularly because, you know, one of the things about ritual that we really try to avoid is the idea of waiting. That, you know, in our normal lives, we, we end up waiting in line at the service desk or waiting in line to get a driver's license, and, and that is one thing that almost immediately takes people away from their sacred headspace. So to have a ritual of 800 people where things were always moving, always happening, um, was quite a challenge. And uh, uh, that's the kind of thing you have to think about. As, as the numbers of people you work with increase, uh, you have to be really aware of, of uh, the time involved in each person's experience. What is the, the smallest group that, ritual could be effective in? Is it two, or must there be more? Or Well, I think, um, you know, uh, we, you know, we practice ritual as individuals, my wife and I, and many of the people that we do community ritual with are, have their own spiritual practice, and, and a community ritual is a time for diverse people to come together and 
have that ritual experience together. But, um, you know, ritual itself, I mean, it literally can be for one person. You know, an individual can can uh, create a ritual experience for themselves, but there there is a power uh, in a larger group of people, whether it's you know five or ten or when when that uh, the the power and effectiveness of the experience gets multiplied. I don't really know, but uh, you can uh, you can take concepts from a large ritual and. Uh, include them in something you just do for yourself, and in the same token, you can take what you find to be a very powerful ritual for yourself as an individual, and through how you manifest the intent, you can adapt it to a larger group of people. And I would imagine that that ritual... I would imagine that the ritual changes, that the ritual is different, not just because of the number of people involved, but that something is added because of the energy all the other people bring to it. What I do quietly by myself will be one way, but if I do that same thing, even if it's me in a crowd of 800 people, it will be different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, generally, the rituals we do are kind of a one-time event. Uh, there's occasionally... Uh, a ritual like this ritual that we did for 800 people, uh, this was the third time we had done a, a very similar ritual that at least had the same overall focus. And the first time we did it for about 150 people, and it was really powerful, and in fact so powerful, uh, we didn't have a, a well-enough-to-find ending. So all of a sudden we got through the ritual and everyone was glowing, and no one wanted to leave. No one really knew uh, knew it was done and time to be over. And so we always thought, well, let's try this ritual again and do it a little different and see if we can correct that. And then we did it for uh, a smaller group of about 50 and, you know, learned some things from adapting it to that. And then when we went to the group of 800, uh, you know, we had had enough experience with it that we could really... Uh, adapt it to that size group and make it workable. Are you preparing now for other presentations? Are you designing rituals now? And what are those and where where will they be? Well, the, the ritual I mentioned were the featured ritual list at a uh, convention called Paganicon in Minneapolis in March. And so we're working on a ritual um, uh, for that, both a, a opening ritual and a closing ritual for that event, which will probably be for somewhere between two and 300 people. Um, and uh, as well as our, uh, we had a really wonderful experience recently. Um, our publisher, Llewellyn, is in Minneapolis, so we're nearby, and they asked us to come do a ritual for their sales team that was gathering, you know, in their annual sales conference to kind of go over the new products and, and get fired up to, to, to promote their, you know, new offerings. And so that group was, you know, really diverse. Some of the people had kind of alternative spirituality views, but some of the people were, were just hardworking booksellers. And so we went to that group and designed a ritual specifically for them 
And uh, that was a really wonderful experience that was much appreciated. So there's lots of opportunities for ritual, uh, you know, once you start looking for them. Can you let the listeners know your website is hawkdancing.com? Now, you, you are a man of many talents. Can you, can you let the listeners know what they'll find on that website and how they can connect with you and find out more about the book? Well, there's um, uh, hawkdancing.com is my original craftsman work, uh, website, and we do have our book offered on there. And as a, as a craftsman, I make the products you mentioned and, and import drums and stuff like that. But we, we do have a Facebook page that is Nelson Judy or Judy and Nelson Lindy. And we also started a group on Facebook called Ritualista Roundtable. And it's a group of about, it's currently about 150 people that, you know, either are starting to or do work in ritual where they can come forth and talk about their ideas and what their problems are and what possible solutions are. And that's a great resource for people that want to get involved in producing ritual. Now, I read that you on your property, as you said, you live in a, in a rural area, that you get together with other people and you build, am I right, a 20-foot straw man or corn man? Yes, and it's one of them is pictured in the book. In fact, we just last weekend, uh, well, no, now it's, yeah, uh, two weeks ago, week and a half ago, we had our event and we had about 80 people out and, and uh, had a... a giant feast and a ceremony and then burn it was 28 feet tall this year it just depends on the year wow um and that's something you know not everyone can do but it is uh it is still the uh a work that um you know people could do in their backyards building a you know a five-foot straw person and the act of a group of people, uh, people come together at our residence and help build this thing for a whole weekend. And just the, the power of building something that, you know, will be gone in flames in a ceremony in 10 minutes is a powerful act. And when you do that in the context of a ritual ceremony, it's even more powerful. Because the rituals in the book, at least as, as I received them, as I read it, are, um, they're, they're big. There's sculpture and costumes and things being burned. What do you, as you see it, what is the relationship between ritual and theater and, and uh, performance? Well, um, you know, a lot of the principles of theater... Um, you know, uh, are applied in the ritual creation context. You know, ritual deals from, uh, differs from theater a lot in that in, in theater there is always that uh, pretty clear division between the performers and the audience. And in ritual, uh, even though you use uh, theoret- uh, theatrical concepts and... Um, uh, things like pacing and blocking and all the different terms that you'd use to design a, a good theater production, you're, um, you're not separating yourself from your audience usually. Um, uh, you can do a completely theatrical ritual production, and I've been at some that have been very uh, effective, but 
you know, theater and ritual, you know, in a sense have the same origins. They came from ancient Greece and other cultures that, that used a, um, you know, mass and dance and song and words to, you know, create a culturally relevant experience. And some of those were, you know, purely religious in nature, and some of those were community celebrations. But ritual and theater are, you know, from the same home. And it seems, um, I, I worked, so among my many things that I've done in my life, I worked as an actor for a number of years and did live theater for a number of years. And there's sometimes in live theater, there is a spark of, I don't know, magic, something that can't be captured, couldn't be captured on film, something that happens between the actor and the audience, something living passes between them, and it is a wonderful, um, it's a lot more than just theater when that happens. Do you know what I'm trying to get at there? Well, absolutely, and, you know, in a well-constructed and executed ritual, you know, you... You can't always tell who the who the performers are, if you even can use that worm, and who the audience is, because sometimes a person affected by the experience will will become a uh, an influence on the people around them that you could never intend. But that kind of magic can happen. Oh, I love that! Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a a really interesting glimpse into a world that I didn't know anything about. Thank you for coming and for sharing your wisdom on the program. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, I, I wish all your readers the best of luck in creating their own sacred ceremony. Thank you so much. That is Nels Lindy, and with his partner, Judy Lindy, he is the co-author of Taking Sacred Back, The Complete Guide to Designing and Sharing Group Rituals. You can find out more about Nels and Judy Lindy and their work at hawkdancing.com. That's hawkdancing.com. There's a lot of, there's a, that's a very interesting website, so go and check that out. I also would direct your attention to karenhager.com. That's my website. You can find out what's coming up on this program. We've got some great guests coming up in the next few weeks. And it's also a place where you can find out about upcoming classes and events. Find out how you can connect with me for a private session if you'd like to get some intuitive guidance on things that are happening in your life, get questions answered about your soul path. And if you feel, as I do, that when we come together with intention, we can affect change, that our energy together can make a change in the world, you might want to check out openpeacefulheart.com. That's a site where you can get information about a free monthly online meditation where we bring people together for all over, from all over the world to sit in sacred space and hold an intention for peace, for light, for change in the world. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.